on today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. I don't know if you've ever experienced to see people get purple teeth or purple yep. lips from drinking wine. That's usually from a color agent. You won't get that from our wines. The wines don't make your teeth red. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Real Foodology Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Swan. And today's subject is all about one of my favorite indulgences, wine. I, As I started getting more into my health journey and really learning about pesticides and just in general the importance of what I put in my body, I started to look at the wines I was drinking. And as I started to kind of learn about the, you know, the farming practices here in the U.S., and, and this goes for our food as well as for our wine making, I started to see that there was a lot of similarities between what's going on in our food industry um, and what's happening with our winemaking here in the U.S. And that was when I came across this company called Dry Farm Wines, and they are the largest importer of organic, biodynamic, natural wines. But I wanted to bring on the founder of this company today to have a discussion about this because I don't think that this topic is being talked about enough. And I think it's incredibly important, especially more than ever right now with this pandemic. I can only speak to my experience and my friends, but I've found myself drinking a lot more wine than I would like to admit. And I'm finding it increasingly more important as I'm putting more of that wine in my body that it's cleaner, um, comes from better, more higher quality practices. So I think this is a really important conversation to be having right now. We dive into natural and organic wine versus conventional wine, why we should care about the difference, glyphosate in wine. Glyphosate is one of the um, highest sprayed herbicides on our crops here in this country. And it's being linked to things like cancer. So it's a serious thing. Um, hangovers, why there is a lot of sugar in most wines and how to find natural wines and just so much more. Todd, the founder of Dry Farm Wines, is so informative. And this episode is just so jam-packed with great information, some that I had never even heard. So I really hope that you walk away today with a better understanding of the importance of natural and organic wine and why we should care. And it's more than just an exaggerated like SNL skit or something you would see on Portlandia. It's an actually really important topic. And with that, let's get to a fan question. Before I get to the question, I just have a little disclaimer. As always, these answers and this podcast are just for educational and informational purposes only. I am an integrative nutritionist, but I'm not a doctor. And I don't know you personally. I don't know what's going on in your body. So just know that this information on this podcast is not a sub for individual medical or mental health advice, and it doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor first. Today's question was emailed to my show email, which is realfoodologypodcast at gmail.com. So if you guys have any questions, make sure you send them in. Today's question comes from Ari, and she says, with all the talks of COVID, I know it is super important to keep your immune system nice and strong with all the different products, vitamins, and supplements that are thrown in our faces on social media, TV, and the internet. I get a little overwhelmed. I really just want to have a nice regimen that is not too expensive, not too time consuming, and something that I know will keep my immune system in tip top shape. Can you help? Okay. I love this question because I fully, I hear you. This is um, a complaint that I hear a lot because it's kind of like we're getting so much information thrown at us and where do we even start? So there's a couple of things. 
First of all, above and beyond supplements, I think the most important thing to remember is that we have immune systems for a reason. And our immune system is there to fight off viruses, bacteria, germs, anything that we come across in our day-to-day lives. And it's really important to remember that our immune systems are just as healthy as our bodies are. So we need to be prioritizing sleep, exercise, getting sunlight every day, because with exposure to sunlight, we are getting vitamin D from the sun and making sure that we prioritize healthy foods because, you know, the healthier our diet is, the less inflammation that we will have in our body. All of these factors will help bolster our immune systems and um, keep them as as healthy as, as possible. And then when we get to supplements, there are a couple supplements that are, you know, scientifically proven to help your immune system. And I, you know, I mean, these are pretty basic supplements and vitamins that I'm sure all of you listening have heard. Vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D is a little bit more under the radar, but vitamin D also helps a lot with the immune system. Also probiotics, because 70% of our immune system lies in our gut. And part of that whole immune system is our microbiome, which is the combination of our good and bad bacteria that lives in our guts. So probiotics really help to maintain that that balance of good and bad bacteria. So those are the supplements that I would say to prioritize. Um, I talk about this a lot on my show, Paragon Vitamins. I love if you can afford them. I don't want to sound like an ad here, but uh, I like Paragon Vitamins a lot because it's tailored to your individual needs. They tell you exactly what's going on in your body, and then they give you a regimen. And they start as low as like $39 a month, and then they go all the way up to, it's like a little bit over 100 a month. So you kind of um, can fit it into your lifestyle how, however you you please. If you can't afford that, that's totally fine. I would start at the very basics, getting back to eating real food, eating less processed foods, and that's going to really help your overall health and help keep your immune system in tip-top shape. These are all things that will help your immune system. So there are different herbs that really support the immune system. There is echinacea. There is oil of oregano. Uh, elderberry syrup is really good. And there's a specific supplement called Wellness Formula that I really like, and it has all of these different vitamins and herbs that are all scientifically proven to support the immune system. It has echinacea, it has garlic in there. So this is another important component of it, actually, the garlic, ginger. There are foods that really help with the immune system as well. Of course, you know, your citrus fruits that have vitamin C. Garlic is an antibiotic and antiviral because there's components in garlic that actually fight viruses and fight bacteria. So there's also foods that you can eat. Um, But I think the point that I really, really, really want to hammer in is the difference between something called germ theory and terrain theory. So there's the school of thought that many diseases are caused by infectious agents or germs, right? And this is called the germ theory, where a disease is caused by microorganisms or, you know, foreign invader coming into the body. And then there is another theory called the terrain theory. And what the terrain theory states is that diseases are actually a result of our internal environment and its ability to maintain homeostasis against outside threats. 
What does that mean? It means that if we are healthy in our body and we have a healthy immune system that's working effectively and efficiently, we're going to be able to fight off any sort of germ, pathogen, infectious disease, virus that comes our way because that's what our immune system is for. And when we have a healthy immune system that's functioning correctly, it doesn't matter about it doesn't matter what this germ or pathogen that comes our way, we're going to be able to fight it off. In this case, the terrain meaning your body. And it's all going to be dependent on how healthy your body is, how healthy your, your immune system is. Because ultimately, if you don't have a very strong immune system, if you don't have a super healthy body, if you're not in great physical health, then you're not going to be in a position to be able to fight off something as efficiently as someone who has a stronger immune system and who is in better health. I really want to say that this is not a judgment towards anyone listening Um, I'm not trying to point any sort of fingers. I am just trying to speak in very general terms of what it means to be truly healthy. Ultimately, I just want us to remember that the healthier we are in our bodies, the more efficiently we will be able to defend and fight off anything that comes our way. So I think it's more important than ever to just be focused on eating real foods, whole real foods in their natural state, less processed foods. And, you know, as an added bonus, let's bring in the vitamin C, the zinc, the vitamin D, and remembering to get exercise and better sleep. I hope this helps. There's one more thing that I want to address because I've been dealing with this a lot lately on my Instagram, and I've become a lot more silent on my Instagram lately with around these conversations because um, there's a lot of censoring happening right now. And my account has been affected by it. It's not being seen as much as it used to. Um, And there has been a lot of talk around just censoring in general. So this is not some sort of secret or conspiracy theory. Um, Companies like Google, Twitter, Facebook talk about all the time how they are putting disclaimers on tweets on Instagram posts. But my point in all of this is that I think we need to question who's deciding what's true and what's false and what the intent behind it is. Like who has money to lose or money to gain from certain information coming out. I am not disagreeing that there is some stuff that does need to be censored. I think we can all agree that hate speech and inappropriate content should be taken down, but that's not what I'm addressing here. But we're getting to a place now where simple things like talk of the immune system and vitamin C, uh, we are no longer allowed to freely talk about that on Instagram. And I'm seeing it on my account. I'm also seeing it with friends' accounts and other natural, like naturopathic or functional and integrative medical doctors. I'm seeing them get censored about this as well. And what I'm talking about is basic science. I learned this in college. I learned this during my master's program. There are certain things that are founded and grounded in science that we know to be true, and those aren't going to be changing. So for example, our immune system, that's not a conspiracy theory. We have an immune system to protect us from disease and things like vitamin C and zinc. We know that these nutrients bolster our immune system and support it. And there's a lot of censoring happening around that. And I have some theories, but I don't want to go down any sort of rabbit hole with that. But um, there's a lot of funding behind big pharma and pharmaceuticals. And when we have a healthier population that doesn't need to rely so much on medication 
then there's not as much money to be had. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of food for thought and also to let you in on what's going on right now and why I'm not as outspoken as I once was about this because I'm not scared of the censoring, but it hinders my ability to get this message out when my account is being censored and not shown to as many accounts because then it limits my reach and it limits the amount of people that I can get this information out to. And ultimately that's all I want to do is to spread this information to help you, to help your families, because I just want to see us as I want us to be a healthier country and I want to see people thrive and And the only way that we're going to do that is to prioritize our health and get back to what it means to be truly healthy in our bodies. And that's ultimately why I wanted to start this podcast, because I am fully in charge of the information that I am releasing and there's no censoring happening here. So if you resonate with this message or you know someone that does, I hope that you will share this episode with them. I hope that you'll share this podcast with them and just know that I am always striving to bring you the best information to the best of my ability and you know, best of my knowledge. And I don't have any sort of intention behind it other than I just want to see everyone living healthy and thriving in their lives. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. Well, welcome to the podcast, Todd. I'm really happy that you're here. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a beautiful California day. Happy to be here and share some of the dirty, dark secrets of the wine business. I'm very excited to hear about this. So why don't you start out by just telling everyone listening who you are and what you do? So, yeah, I'm the founder of Dry Farm Wines. I've been a biohacker since way before biohacking was even a thing. And, uh, you know, just really into living a natural life, just kind of whole and real and just authentic and with intention. And I eat and I drink with intention. And so, I became therapeutically ketogenic about six years ago and started experimenting with fasting and a lot of sort of biohacks at the time. And I found that I couldn't drink conventional wines anymore and I didn't know why. I thought it was just because they're higher in alcohol. And so it, what surprises people to hear from the wine guy is that alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and ruins millions of lives a year. And so it's something that we should really take seriously when we think about our health or living a life of intention where alcohol is concerned, which is why we only sell and drink lower alcohol wines. And so it just makes a material difference in in how you feel. So in my pursuit looking for lower alcohol wines, I'd learned from a friend that there, there, there were lower alcohol wines available in Europe. You won't find them in the U.S. But and so I, in my pursuit of looking for lower alcohol wines, <clears throat> I actually stumbled quite accidentally on the natural wine revolution. And so people say, well, what is natural wine? Yeah. Well, for the reasons I'm going to explain to you, people are confused by this term when they hear natural wine because their first response generally is, well, aren't all wines natural? Right, And for the reasons I'm going to explain to you in just a few brief moments, no, that's not true. Most wines are not natural products. Most wines contain chemicals and additives. And so Similar they're, to our food industry. It's, yeah, so it's what, what has happened? This is exactly what's happened. So yeah. what's happened in the food industry is exactly what happened in the wine industry. And that was around money and greed and corporate consolidation. So right now the the central problem is that 
the top three wine companies in the world manufacture over 52% of U.S. wines and the top 30 companies make over 70% of U.S. wines. So mm. you go in the grocery store and you see shelves and rows and rows of bottles. Most of those wines are made by just a handful of people. So they don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels to confuse you, right? And so the label will have a picture of a chateau or maybe a cute farmhouse, right? Or a tractor. They want yeah. you to believe that you're drinking wine from this farmhouse. When in fact, in most cases, you're drinking wine from massive factories located in the Central Valley of California. So the reason, you know, the reason for all this is around money and greed. So they're not trying to make wine better or healthier. They're trying to make it faster and cheaper. Yep. Right. So that's the same thing that's happened in the food supply. And so, and so we, you know, when we use the word natural wine, it's confusing to consumers and it's further complicated a bit by the fact that there's no international certification for natural wine. Now there is a very clear understanding internationally in the wine community about what a natural wine is, but for consumers, it remains somewhat of a confusing term. <clears throat> Let's unbuckle yeah. that for a moment, what natural wine is. Yes, natural please. wine represents less than one-tenth of one percent of all wines produced in the world. And to give you an example, South Africa, there are, is a very large wine, the eighth largest wine producing country in the world but there are only four natural wine growers in all of South Africa. And so this, this is wow. this revolution of natural wine, uh, which is the way all wines were made a hundred years ago. Right. But things have changed and yep. primarily around this acceleration of opportunity. So, and like what we do in America, we scale everything. Right. And so it just got bigger and a bigger problem. So, these a natural wine is always grown organically or biodynamically and biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming so it's always organic or biodynamic natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast well what does that big mouthful mean well a wild indigenous yeast is um is found in the skin of every wine berry in the world at the time of harvest. So on every wine berry, there is, at the time of harvest, after the summer, there's a white film. It looks kind of like a wax, so it's a waxy film on the outside of the grape. That's actually yeast, and that yeast has collected through the air over the season, right? And at harvest, it, the grape berry is covered with yeast. Mm -hmm. So when you ferment... A, a natural wine, you, it's, what's, what, it's what's called a, fun, a spontaneous fermentation because the yeast and the sugar are already there, which is how you make wine. So when, when the yeast comes in contact with the sugar that's in the grape juice, the yeast eats the sugar, and that's the yeast's food form until the yeast eats all the available sugar or the yeast is otherwise killed. Commercial wines are not fermented with this wild native yeast. They're fermented with modified lab-grown yeast. And the reason for this is quite simple. You can't make wine in very large volumes with the wild native yeast. It's too fragile. It's too temperamental. It's too difficult to work with. 
So you can only make wine in smaller quantities with it. Mm. The other problem with it is it requires a lot of coddling, right? It's just a very fragile right. yeast. These modified um, lab-cultured yeast are, are very strong. They're very easy to work with. You can make wine in infinite volumes with them, right? Mm. And, um, and there's two other factors about them. They will withstand a higher alcohol environment than, than a wild native yeast will withstand. And you can also buy them in flavors. So as an example, if you want, you know, a, a crappy industrial farm grape in Central California to taste like it's from Italy, they have a yeast for that, right? And so... Wow. And That's so really shocking we, to hear. Yeah, we don't know yeah. what that means to our health. Mm -hmm. I'm just, just describing to you, natural wines are always fermented with wild native yeast. And third, they're additive free. And here's the most shocking thing to people about what's happening in commercial wine. Again, around making wine cheaper and faster. And that is that the FDA, your friends of the government, have approved 76 additives for the use in winemaking. Some of them are natural, mm -hmm. but a number of them are quite toxic, right? And so further from your friends in government, you don't know about these additives and the reason you don't know what's in your wine is because they've spent millions of dollars in lobby money fighting efforts to put contents labeling on wine bottles and also have successfully fought efforts to put any nutritional information on the wine. Mm. So if you're interested about your sugar intake as an example, you don't know how much sugar is in a bottle of wine when you pick it up because yeah. there's no guide to it, nor do you know the ingredients. If it contains dimethyl dicarbonate or ammonia phosphate or copper sulfate, these are some of the additives that commonly go into wines, mm. right? If you look up dimethyl dicarbonate on Wikipedia, you look under where it says hazard, it says colon toxic, right? Yeah. So, and wow. so that's, that, that's what's wrong with, that's the difference between a natural wine and what's going on in commercial wine. The problem is, on sugar is an example. Now, while there's no certification for natural wines in the world, Dry Farm Wines, my company, does have a certification, right? And so we certify that every wine is organically or biodynamically farmed. We certify that the wine is lower in alcohol. We don't sell anything over 12.5%. Commonly, commercial wines are 14 and a half, 15, 15 and a half, 16%. Yeah. Right? And so... <clears throat> Another collusion between the government and the wine industry, the alcohol stated on a wine bottle. I say stated because what's put on the wine bottle by law is not required to be accurate. Most people are not even looking oh. at alcohol amount. No, it's by law not yeah. required to be accurate. And so, wow. And so, why you don't even that? know how much alcohol. Why is that? Yeah, I'll why tell would you, they do that? I'll tell you why. In the beginning, there was a logical reason for that. Mm -hmm. So most of the alcohol laws in this country were, the federal laws, were written post-prohibition in the 1940s, all right? Yeah. Now. Antiquated laws. That's a pattern we're seeing here right. in this country. Yeah. So these laws are so outdated. Here's why they did, alcohol amounts didn't have to be accurate in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because in 1940 lab testing for alcohol varied from lab to lab, right? And so the wine industry got a variant so of a 
percentage and a half. If if it says fourteen percent on the label legally, it can be as high as fifteen fifteen and a half percent and still be legal. Hmm. So, in nineteen forties, testing for alcohol could vary from lab to lab. That's not true today. Today, you get an exact reading from every lab, right? Because yeah. the technology is just far superior. But the industry doesn't want this leeway changed because it gives them the opportunity to sell higher alcohol wines at a lower stated amount. Two reasons for that. Uh, it used to be that, that that federal tax was based on the amount of alcohol that was in it. That's since been revised. But the other thing is that the wine industry likes alcohol. And I'll tell you why. It's addictive. And it's what I call a domino drug. So, the more you drink, the more likely you are to drink more, right? Absolutely. And so, and so that's just how alcohol works. So, so it's so it, it it sells more wine to sell a, a higher alcohol product. Also, Americans like it, and the reason being is that the typical American palate has been deadened and killed, or what we call mummified, mm-hmm. right, with processed foods and high intakes of sugar. Right, yes, So people yes. don't taste what you and I taste, mm-hmm. right? The, the typical American palate is quite desensitized. So this higher alcohol adds boldness and density to wine, mm. right? And so, and many people, in fairness, not me, pr- probably not you, are drinking to check out, right? Yeah. I'm drinking wines to tap in to a higher creative expression, more euphoria to I'm not trying to check out I'm actually trying to tap into a spirit absolutely yeah I feel the same way and into a community spirit of drinking wine and sharing natural wines with with my friends and socially and And I genuinely love the taste of it too right I love wine I don't love alcohol but I happen to love wine and so which is the reason we're so committed to, to selling a lower alcohol product we have wines that go down as low as 7%. Oh, wow. What is a typical bottle of wine, would you say, the percentage of alcohol, just to give people perspective for that? It's nearing 15%. Wow, okay. It's just just shy of 15%. Do you guys have bottles that are that high, percentage of alcohol? We don't. We We don't don't. sell anything over 12.5. Okay. And if you go in the grocery store, you'd be very challenged to find a single bottle at 12.5. So I want to ask you then, coming from that perspective, from someone listening that's thinking, okay, well then what's the point of drinking that wine if I want, you know, like I, I drink wine to get drunk or I, I want to have that kind of euphoric feeling. You just have what to drink more say? of it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, I mean, I mean, you, just, you can yeah. still get drunk, I assure you, you just have to drink more of it. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I don't drink, if I want to lower the inherent amount of alcohol that I'm consuming, which I think is a healthy, I think Absolutely. it's healthy for my brain. Yes. I think it's healthy for my body. I think it's healthy for my liver. So I'm a huge advocate of drinking less alcohol. And I am too. I just wanted to pose that question because I'm trying to think of right. So I mean, if your goal is to drink thinking. higher alcohol products, we're not mm-hmm. for you. If yeah. your goal is to drink more wine with less alcohol, and less that is for you. Because see, most people don't have a glass of wine. They yeah. have several. And I drink a bottle a night, sometimes more. Yeah. And so, and most of the wines I'm drinking are between nine and a half and 11 and a half percent alcohol. So usually around 10 or 10.5%. And for me, that's a good amount that, that, that allows me to drink a bottle of wine, not mm-hmm. be drunk. I'll be high, but not drunk. 
Yeah. And um, and it allows me to to um, to enjoy the wine over a several hour period, right? Without yeah. without getting intoxicated. And so that you know, for me, that is just healthier. And so if you believe as you know, people when I first started this, and I was the first person to and remain virtually the only person to talk about drinking lower alcohol wines mm-hmm. and the importance of moderating your alcohol intake. I'm still virtually the only person talk, talk, talking about it, certainly in the wine industry. In fact, we have, you know, we have com- lookalike competitors who, you know, regularly on social media will post, you know, full alcohol. It's like, look, I, great. You're not speaking to my customer. Yeah. I mean, my customer wants a lower alcohol experience, right? They don't want more. They want less. They want to be able to enjoy wine and enjoy it in a multi-glass experience and have a great communal time filled with love and euphoria, but they don't want to get drunk. And so that's my customer. You know, know, and you know, what's really interesting. You keep talking about this sense of like euphoria from drinking the wine. And I have to tell you, one of the first times that I ever drank um, you guys sent me a bottle of your red wine, and I I experienced that this kind of like euphoria that you're talking about when I had the wine, and I I only had I think a glass or two of it, and I didn't feel drunk, but I felt this sense of like, um, yeah, euphoria, happiness. Is that a product of the way that you guys cultivate? Well, I think it, I think it comes from several things. Wine. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, because there's no research that's been financed on the differences between commercial and and natural wines. Here's what we know for sure. Drinking less alcohol feels better, right? Mm-hmm. And so you just don't get banged on the head with it, right? Yeah. And so it's a more gentle rise. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to rise as far, you just keep drinking it, you'll get there, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's a more gentle Absolutely. rise. And then also, we don't know what impact the additives have. Absolutely. We don't know what the impact of winemaking styles that are very popular in the U.S., which are very weighty, heavy extracted wines that spend a lot more time on skin. Uh, they're picked at higher sugar levels in the beginning. This is all winemaking style. And so, and it's a style that's been popularized uh, because Americans like big, bold, rich things, right? But when you eat and lean- And they're also addicted to sugar. Right. They're mm-hmm. also addicted to sugar. So, you know, when you when you combine- sugar and alcohol, you get, seem to get sort of a instantaneous response that's not positive and it leads to higher negative impacts. I give you an example, anecdotal evidence, uh, because you've probably experienced this. If you were to drink, if you were to take a shot of tequila, that's a very different experience on your mind and body than drinking a margarita, right? Mm, yeah. And so a vastly different experience. Yeah. And so um, you've probably had that experience. I've certainly done many shots of tequila and I've More had many once. margaritas in my day, but I don't drink either anymore, right? But yeah. uh, because I live a, a, rel- a nearly sugar-free lifestyle. And um, so anyway, the, the, uh, but having done that before, there's, there's, there's just a very big difference. And I'll give you, an, let's talk about organic for a moment. I would love is- to talk about this. I wanted to ask you something really quickly before we set, uh, move on from this. Is there any governing body that is regulating natural wines? I know there's organic, but 
There, there, there's not. There, okay. There's no certification. Now, that being said, France just announced about a month ago, they would be the first country to certify natural wines. Wow. And this okay. is a great move. This is a ter- terrific leap forward. Nobody wants to be having this conversation in, in the wine business. That n- n- nobody nobody in the in the United States in the wine business wants to be having a conversation about what natural wine means because then well, we have to talk about what unnatural wine means. Exactly. And they're concerned about their bottom line, the money. Right. So it's like nobody wants to be having a conversation about what natural wine means or certifying it in the United States. There's no there's – no, there's, mm-hmm. n- there's no powers that be want to have that conversation. The moment we start talking about what a natural wine is, we have to talk about what an unnatural, what an unnatural wine, wine is. is. And expose right. all of their And expose the things that we're talking about. Yeah. Right. And there's no, and there's no appetite even in the mainstream wine press, wine critics, psalms. Nobody wants to talk about this, right? Yeah. Because these are all the wines that they write about and get advertising dollars from. And they have right? a lot of money to lose from right. all of this coming out. So, so, so that's let's talk about know, organic. Or, yeah, so I want to talk about organic because this is this is a really important, very important point. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a bit confusing, but just listen closely. My listeners are smart; they'll they'll get nice. It. <laughs> See, all natural wines are organic, but not all organic wines are natural. Okay. In fact. It's, in fact, most organic wines are not natural. They're just organic. Now, let me tell you why that's important. If it's natural wine, it's additive free, right? Mm -hmm. And it's fermented with wild native yeast. If it's an organic wine, it just means that the fruit was grown organically. Now, is that a step forward? Yes. Yes. But it doesn't mean the wine comes without additives or without the use of these lab culture yeast. So, you know, if you go now, the reason that's important, and the reason that it's important to drink natural wines, remember they're both organic, except natural wines are added to free, and natural wines are also fermented with wild native yeast. But they're also made with a lot more love and care at small family farms. And why is that important? Well, I, I like to use this example when you go to the farmers market, and you see amazing and incredible vegetables that are you just want to take photographs of them they're so beautiful and they're so lush and so they're just so vibrant right and you go into a supermarket like whole foods where they're also organic plants there but they don't look anything like the ones at the farmer's market yeah that's because the ones at the farmer's market have been cultured and grown with love by a family Right, yeah. and that's the same thing with natural wine because you can't make wines in very large quantities and have that same spirit and quality. Same thing for the vegetable; you can grow it organically, but once you reach a threshold of size and you start scaling it, it can't. It doesn't look like it was grown with love. It doesn't have that same look because you can't scale that. Yeah, and that's the same thing for natural wine. So. <clears throat> You know, these smaller quantities, small family farms that are cultivating these, these amazing vines and then fermenting, you know, in small quantities using native yeast, it's the same kind of comparison, right? Like, yep. so, I mean, going to the farmer's market is just, that's a blackbird. You may have heard it. <laughs> I uh, did. I'm outside. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, it, um, 
it, it's just looking at the when you know it's so thrilling. Well, I, I haven't been to a farmers market this this summer, but they're still open here. And uh, but but you know going to the farmers market and just seeing those vegetables and just like how much life is. I mean, you know where life comes. That life comes from living soils. Yeah. So just the tender and the care of a living soil is extraordinary. Now, here's another thing about dry farm wines. In our name, dry farm, means that we don't allow irrigation. And so this yeah. is another extraordinary, which is why we don't sell domestic wine. Generally speaking, more than 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated, mm. right? And so, and why do you what irrigate? mean, yeah. Well, yeah, why do you irrigate? Well, it's about money. It's about greed. So here's the thing. Unirrigated, the, the soil management and the vineyard management for a dry farm vineyard is much more difficult and more expensive. It's cheaper and easier to irrigate, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't have to manage the, 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 the cover, the cover of the soil, right? So when you don't use irrigation, you have to plant cover crops in the winter, which fall down, you have to create a mulch that locks in moisture into the, into the earth, right? It's just a lot more difficult and it costs more. The other yeah. thing is that irrigation produces a higher yield. That means that there are more clusters on the vine, right? Now, mm-hmm. it also produces a fruit that weighs more. It might not surprise you that when you fill a grape berry with water, it weighs more, right? <laughs> You yeah. also have higher yields because most irrigated vineyards are also being fed liquid nitrogen through the same, through the same tube. So they're getting fertilizer, right? This yeah. produces a higher yield. Well, fruit, grapefruit, wine grapes are sold by the ton. So the more it weighs, the higher your yield, the more valuable the crop is. Wow. So, but, but you, but you're, you're, you're also, it saves a tremendous amount of water not irrigating, right? California's been in a drought for years, right? It would be, it'd be amazing if we were saving that water. And yeah. so uh, it's published that, that, that it saves about 16,000 gallons an acre right, of water. Wow. Uh, so anyway, so, so the other thing is that, look, irrigation is bad for the planet. Mm-hmm. It's bad for the grapevine, and it produces a fruit that is actually has less polyphenols in it. Polyphenols are the healthy compounds. There's about 800 of them, flavonoids and antiflavonoids that uh, that are in wines. Now they're much higher in red wines. Red wines have over 800 polyphenols, and white wines have just over 200. And the extra polyphenols in red wine come from the contact with the skin and the seeds. And they fight free radicals, which is part of um, the many things that we can list as a health benefit to drinking right. wine. So, which is the reason, generally speaking, you hear that red wines, from a health point of view, are recommended over red wine, uh, white wines. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the increase in the polyphenols. And the most famous one is quite well known. is called resveratrol, yep. which resveratrol has been shown in organisms, worms and yeast to extend lifespan and has also been shown in mice to extend lifespan. There's no, no, there's no human proof that it extends lifespan and the dose levels in the mice that they gave were quite high. So we don't know that it actually does anything, 
uh, for sure in humans, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get as much resveratrol as I can. It so sounds like plenty, you're, yeah, you're doing a good job. Drinking plenty of red wine. Um, <laughs> yeah, so fun times. This is so interesting. So I, I went to a wine shop one time when I was in Paris. This was a couple of years ago. And I wish I could remember the name of the wine shop because the guy, the owner was just incredible. The second my friend and I walked in, I mean, he had us on like a 20 minute um, conversation about similar things that you are talking about right now, which is really what initially led me to finding you and sparking my interest in all of this. And he so he showed us the roots between, it was like the difference between um, his whole thing, his entire shop was he was explaining to us why he only uses natural wines, um, organic, biodynamic. And he showed us the difference between roots that were coming from grapes that were farmed conventionally versus being farmed organically and biodynamically and the yes. difference in them. Right. So it's the same. It's shocking. Yeah, it's, 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 it's huge. So Irrigation does the same thing. So an yeah. irrigated grapevine has a root structure of this about three feet wide and about three or four feet deep mm-hmm. because it gets all of its water and nutrient from a little tube just above the, the, the so it's a very, it's a very diminutive root structure. A mature unirrigated grapevine can have a root structure that can span 30 or 40 feet deep. Mm. And so, and that is it struggles for, is it struggles for its search for nutrient and tiny particles of moisture, right? It's like capillary little hair-like roots that are crushing mineral and rock and stone and also um, soil in search for, you know, moisture and nutrient. And so, which is why natural wines and unirrigated wines, you have a lot more minerality in them, right? And so, um, but yeah, but also, you know, also, not only irrigation, but also the use of chemicals in farming are unhealthy for the plant. And so, you know, the plant wants to grow quite naturally. The plant doesn't, you know, really care about wine. What the plant cares about is producing the most superior fruit, hoping that the bird will choose their fruit to propagate, the, uh, to propagate their, their mission of, uh, of, of reproducing, right? And so, yeah. so it's, it's – so – what we know for sure across plant life of all kind, all, all types of plant life, is that when a plant struggles, right, it creates, it creates a better fruit. There's no dispute anywhere in the wine world, yeah. that, which is why vines are planted close together, which is why you'll see, you know, on prestigious bottles, they'll say, oh, it's hillside select because – Vines that grow on a hill are more stressed than those that grow on flat land. Mm. And so there's no dispute from any wine farmer, the, any grower, that, that stress creates a higher quality of fruit. But the problem is using pesticides and using herbicides like Roundup, glyphosate, yeah. or the use of irrigation actually removes stress from the plant, right? Mm. Which is why in most of Europe, it's actually against the law to irrigate a grapevine. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were saying about glyphosate. Well, much of your is also is also banning glyphosate as well, but um, but but not univer- not in the EU yet. But many many countries individually. But yeah. in, the, in the United States, glyphosate is the number one applied herbicide to U.S. vineyards. And I can tell you, I can drive by a vineyard and tell you if it's been treated with Roundup from wow. its appearance, because there's the nothing living. Yeah. Well. 
there's nothing living beneath the vine. The vines, of course, are quite leafy, but there's nothing. the The, the soil is almost black. It's dead. Uh, it's it's dead. It's just yeah. dead. It's just been killed. And so, living soils. We're about to we're about to announce the our new dry farm foundation that is going to be um, that its purpose is regenerative soil and living soil. Uh, education and and methods and be, bringing people together to to um, to promote the regeneration of soil and and to promote living soil farming, you know, which is just a lot more difficult and more expensive to 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 farm a living soil. I'm so glad that you guys are doing that. I think this is a conversation that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, the use of pesticides and herbicides like glyphosate, it may seem like in theory, like, oh, good, we're getting rid of all the bugs and pests and everything. But I think we forget that that soil lives in an ecosystem and all of those pests and everything living in that soil is there for a reason. It's what feeds the plants, it's nutrients. And when we're killing off all of that, like you said, we're growing in dead soil, then of course we're not going to have. We're also killing it off from plowing. Yeah. So, most natural wine farmers do not do not turn over the soil, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go into when you go into a natural wine vineyard, it, it's the 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 cover crop growing beneath you can and many times it'd be waist high. It's like mm-hmm. they almost compete with the vines. It looks like a forest. It's not tended. It's not plowed. The surface is not turned over. Here's what happens when we turn over the surface of the soil. Mm-hmm. It exposes all the organisms and the life beneath the soil to the sun, and it dies, right? Mm. And, so, and so if, if, it is, if the soil is turned, it's turned every other year, right? And so if some, some farmers believe in turning the soil to bring oxygen into it, but they do it every other year. So in that case, in a natural vineyard, you'll see one row that has been turned and one row that's natural, one that's been turned and one row that's natural. And in the following year, they do just the opposite. Okay. But for the, my favorite natural wine farms, they never plow, right? And when you walk in there, I can show you pictures of it, you know, where, where the, the fl- wildflowers and herbs and mm. grasses and, you know, are waist high. And you're just kind of walking through it as you're getting going through the rows of vineyard. And, you know, at the end of the summer, those will get, those grasses will be cut down and they'll be left to lay. And then they'll plant their winter cover crop, which is uh, typically uh, legumes, which Mm -hmm. then are very high levels of nitrogen when they get cut in the spring and then they're left to lay and that's natural fertilizer for the vineyard. And then it regrows a cup and then the summer cover crop regrows again. Yeah. Right. And so it never gets plowed because, you know, I mean, this, this, we interviewed this Italian farmer who never plows and, and his English is very, very, he speaks very little English, but he would refer to the insects under the, under the grasses and as the, as the little animals. Right. That was, that was his, that was the way he was talking yeah. about as the little animals. And he was talking about the insects. And so, and if you, and when you go out into the, see, when you go to a natural, when you go to a natural vineyard, like I live in Napa Valley, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful place to live, but 
but Napa Valley is like super famous for tasting rooms and, you know, and, you know, big architecture and like the, the designer tasting room. So when you go to but the majority of those wines are crap. Well, I, I don't know about that. I have to live here. I don't <laughs> know about that, but, 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 but <laughs> here's the thing. It's just that then tasting room becomes entertainment. Mm-hmm. When, when you go to a natural wine farm, well, first of all, the productions are small. There's no tasting room. There's never a tasting room. And you don't taste wine when you get there. The very first thing the farmer wants to do is go to the vineyard with you mm. and talk about soil. And what made me think about this is this Italian farmer who I was just referring to describing the, the, the little animals is, um, you know, he takes like a, a hand, a hand, small hand hoe, and he wants to like pull up a piece of the earth and show you what's beneath. He wants mm-hmm. to talk about the soil. He wants to show you the insects that are living in the soil, you know, both at the surface level and, and below. I mean, they're just, it's just teeming with insects. Natural farmers wow. want insects. You see, because you know, farming practices changed in the 1920s and mm-hmm. really from 1920 to 1940, you know, we went from what used to be, you know, a very, very robust biodiverse polyagriculture to monoagriculture and then consequently the use of, of chemicals, which, mm-hmm. which emerged, chemical farming emerged in agriculture in the 1920s. And so... What happened then is not only the chemical farming emerged, but also we changed from a polyagriculture of biodiversity to a monoagriculture of single focused farming. Crops. Yeah. And so this had, when you go to a natural wine farm, you're going to find livestock. You're going to find orchards, very commonly olives. You're going to find fruit orchards. You're going to find bees. You're going to find um, that, they're, that they're planting crops specifically flowering herbs and wildflowers to attract insects into the vineyard right yeah. and so they're not trying to kill them or trying to attract them and, and so why that, is that can you explain what that is well because the ecosystem depends on each part of nature is all and nature is connected just like everything in the world is connected but in nature yeah. the farmer knows they're very spiritual too. I mean, the farmer knows that everything is connected in biodynamic farming you have harvest by lunar you, you make farming decisions based on moon cycles. Farmers know that everything in nature is connected. I mean, if you, there's a tremendous movie that came out last year, a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm that covers the regeneration. Have you seen the movie? No, but I've seen the previous for it and it's on my well, list. Well, you should see the movie. It's extraordinary. I've seen it like 10 times. So what they do is they regenerate a California farm that had been killed and had been monocultural into a biodiverse poly, mm. polyagricultural. Uh, and they, re, this is over a period of like, you know, seven to 10 years, they regenerate this farm and they document the whole thing. And so it's amazing to see how each part of the, of the farm interlinks with protecting the rest of it, how the livestock, how the ducks eat the snails, right? Yeah. So, so they, they had a snail infestation that were killing their vegetables. And so they brought ducks, ducks onto the farm and then the ducks eat the snails and so on and so forth. The chickens eat the insects and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The chickens would eat the maggots. And, you know, so, so the, you, 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 all of internet, all the, all of this biodiversity is connected and the bees yeah. are pollinating things and so on and so forth. And so it's, it's a, tr- it's an, 
awesome documentary that really shows you how nature takes care of itself. Nature's a brutal place. I mean, dog eat dog, right? So, I mean, it's, it's survival of the fittest, but it all fits together. It's all, we've spent a couple of billion years, right? Mm -hmm. Having this all work itself out. And so, and it provides us with, with what we need. I mean, you talked about this earlier when you're using these specific farming practices like biodynamic, it's going to produce a healthier, better tasting grape and therefore better tasting wine. Yeah. And people ask me all the time, they're like, well, just biodynamic farming. Is it really matter? I was like, you know, and, and, and people have done taste tastings on biodynamic versus organic and, and, but you know, here's the way I sort of think about biodynamic farming because there's not empirical proof that all of this kind of craziness that they do actually works. Yeah. But here's what we do know. And it was, it was created in 1925 by Rudolf uh, Steiner. Um, and the, but here's what, here's the way I kind of think about biodynamic farming, which is a, you know, really quite radical is, um, and has some pretty, some pretty crazy uh, notions. But here's what I think about it is that anyone who would follow these kind of strict practices and protocols that come along with biodynamic farming that's far more advanced and prescriptive than just organic, anybody who's that fanatical, and I know these farmers, right, they're just fanatics, right? I mean, they just care deeply about the earth. They care about their families. They care about working around the chemical. Anybody who's this fanatical to sort of pursue the practices that are biodynamic farming are just going to be fanatical about everything that they do about producing the wine, yeah. right? I mean, they're going to be fanatically committed to their seller practices. They're going to be fanatically committed to their farming practices. They're going to be, you know, they're just going to be fanatics. And so somehow it seems to me that the wine just tastes better. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if that's from biodynamic practices or if it's just from their fanaticism. Well, and I find comfort when it comes to something that I'm consuming to know that someone is that fanatical because I know that I'm going to get a really good high quality product. And that's what right. I'm very concerned about it's, as well, because especially, you know, I'm <laughs> during this pandemic, I've found myself drinking more wine than ever and more concerned sure. about what kind of wine I'm putting in my body. All of this talk about wine reminds me of my time touring and well, you know, hangovers. If you listen to my first episode ever, I told the story of my past and what I was doing before um, Real Foodology or, you know, in conjunction with it. I used to tour manage bands and most recently I toured with Tovlo as her nutritionist and her personal assistant. And I haven't talked about this much, but I used to travel with a carry-on suitcase that was full of just supplements and snacks. It was like my little nutritionist um, carry-on, if you will. And one of the things I would do is help with the next morning for her in the band. And I would bring like green juices, smoothies, and I had this whole slew of supplements to help combat the effects and help with the body's detoxification pathways. I mean, let's be real. I was helping people with their hangovers. Um, we had this running joke where we would always say detox to retox don't take that too seriously. It was of course, of course a joke and I'm not condoning any unhealthy lifestyle choices. We're just humans living our lives and sometimes we drink a little or a lot too much. But the point in all of this is that there are specific nutrients that help the detoxification pathways in the liver. Um, they help flush out unneeded and unwanted substances from the body. 
Glutathione is one, which is the precursor to NAC. And I take NAC along with the rest of my vitamins every day in my Paragon vitamin pack. If you've been listening to this pod for a while, you know about Paragon vitamins. But for those of you who are new listeners, I take Paragon vitamins. And the reason why I love them so much is because they are bio-individual to your own body's needs. Um, it's a really simple little test that you do. You send in a sample of your hair. They, ana- um, they analyze the hair in their lab, and then they give you back a detailed report of exactly what's going on in your body specifically, whether you have vitamin deficiencies or maybe you need help in your detoxification pathways, um, any sort of metal toxicities that you might have going on. And then from there, they give you exactly, they give you like a vitamin regimen And from there, um, you get the vitamins shipped to you every month. And what I love so much about this and what I talk about all the time on this podcast is that they are bio-individual. They are targeting specifically what's going on in your body. And you're not taking all these vitamins that you may not even need. You know, you don't really know what you need until you figure out exactly what's going on in your body. So if you guys want to get started with Paragon today, they gave me a code. It's realfood 15 and it gives you 15% off your nutritional assessment. So head to paragonvitamins.com to get started today. For people that are listening that don't know what biodynamic practices are for wine, can you explain that? Primarily two things. It's, it's, it's yeah. this lunar planning and also these preparations that they either feed the plant or spray on it. In the quartz okay. mixture, they spray it on. And so, um, but it, these these preparations are made with all organic you know, uh, earth materials. And yeah, which comes. I'm not an expert we in it. I just know a little bit about it because yeah. I work with a lot of farmers who who um, who produce biodynamic wines. But uh, but yeah, so yeah. the 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 problem is if a wine says it's organic, again, it may not be natural. And um, in fact, the largest biodynamic producer in the United States is not natural, right? They're quite. Okay. I mean, they run huge advertising campaigns, and they're. And they're quite wow. vocal about being biodynamic. And it's true they are biodynamic, but it's not natural wine. And so let's talk about finding natural wines. Yes, right? that's so, what I was going to ask. Um, Great. Yeah, if, if we're the largest buyer and reseller and importer of natural wines in the world. So <clears throat> if you don't get the wines from us, and getting wines from us, we would go back to the certification process for a moment. Uh, I don't care whether you get wines from us or not, you should be drinking natural wines if you care about what you put in your body. Absolutely. And but, if you want to avoid glyphosate in your wine, which is a huge thing I think we should touch on. But Right. So yeah. so here's here's the thing. Our wines, our certification process, again, goes far and beyond just natural. So natural wine does not require irrigation free. Mm-hmm. We do. So not all natural wines are dry farmed. Not all natural wines are sugar free. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we do independent lab testing for for sugar, and independent lab testing for mold, independent lab testing for alcohol. So not all natural wines are low in alcohol. Mm-hmm. So when you're buying a dry farm wines product, you know it's certified to be sugar free, organic or biodynamically farmed, irrigation free, additive free, uh, and uh, lower alcohol. And so that just if you just go buy natural wines you don't know if all of those things you'd know by the alcohol if you look on the bottle what's stated may generally be accurate but just because natural winemakers are just kind of grown with honesty 
Yeah. So, so similarly you, to the food industry, again, it's right. not regulated as well. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, again, if you're buying something at the farmer's market, first of all, you can look at it and you know it's mm-hmm. better, right? Yeah. But you're buying from a family. Uh, so, but if you live in a large market like New York or San Francisco, Chicago, um, Los Angeles, Miami, um, you, you can find natural wines. Um, you can find natural wine retailers. And there are two ways to do that. Um, you can um, download an app on your smartphone called, um, called um, sorry, there was a B that was just saw that. its way over here. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't tell. If, I couldn't really tell if it was a honeybee or a, I couldn't tell what it was. I just this knew it was a bee. So perfect like, oh. for our conversation. Right. It's like the bee I think it was a honeybee, which is the reason that it's gone. It just found that I was not a very much interest. It looked like not a, honeybee. a lot of sugar. I just couldn't get my eyes on it very well. <laughs> but anyway, so um, so there's a there's a there's a smartphone app called Raisin, just mm-hmm. like the dried grape. That is. Um, is the smartphone app for locating natural wine restaurants, natural wine retailers, and natural wine bars. And it's quite, it's quite accurate and um, it's quite accurate and, and robustly and has robust content in New York and, uh, you know, Paris and London, particularly internationally. So, I mean, Paris is the most famous natural wine city in the world and, uh, so you, you, you'll find in, in, in all across Europe where Raisin is based, it's quite active. It's quite active in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. So it works in big markets, but in big markets, you can also do a Google search for natural wine retail, and you'll find, you'll find that they're, they're natural wine retailers. Now, here's the thing. If it's a natural wine retailer, they don't sell conventional wines. Like, it's all they, like they're fanatics as well, just like yeah. we are. Like we don't sell anything that's not natural. Like I don't drink anything that's not natural. Like, you know, we're just fanatics about it. And so you'd find the same thing at any natural wine retailer. Occasionally, you might find a farm-to-table restaurant, you know, that will have some natural wines on their list. But most of those restaurants also feature conventional wines. However, there are restaurants like in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco that will sell nothing but natural wines on their list, right? They're just mm-hmm. as fanatical about sourcing their food as they are about sourcing their wine. And they don't really care whether they're pedigree brands that people know, or they don't, they're, you know, they're just so fanatical that all they sell are natural wines on their restaurant list. But those are typically only found in, you know, kind of large markets. Yeah. So if you live in a smaller market or a more remote, remote market, like in the Midwest, or, you know, if you live in, smaller markets, you're just not going to be able to buy natural wines at retail. Um, that's, you have to go online. You're going to have to go online. Yeah. And um, if that's you're going to buy wine home. online, you may as well buy it from us. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, this is one thing that I love so much about your wine. I'm going a little bit off topic, but I just, uh, you've mentioned it kind of in passing a few times, but I think this is so important to really hone in on this is that your wines are low sugar and we already get so much sugar in our diet as is. And I've read that there are a ton of wine companies that are not only using the grapes that are higher in sugar, but then they're physically adding sugar at the end. It's not that, well, I want to is correct that. that, that that's okay. not true. No. Okay. So wine is, so, let's talk about how wine is sugar-free or not sugar-free. Yes. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Because some conventional wines can be sugar-free. 
The problem is we just don't know. We just don't know. Right? Okay. Wine's not, so sugar is not added to wine. Here's how sugar gets in wine. In the fermentation process, remember we talked earlier, so when you make wine, how wine gets made is that the juice is pressed from the, from the, from the fruit, mm -hmm. and the juice goes into a tank. Now, if it's red wine, you add the skins in the tank with it. That's how it gets its color. Okay. Red wine gets its color from contact with the skins, and it gets its tannin structure from the seeds and some stems, right? But that's okay. red wine. White wine is just free-run juice. It never gets skin contact. You just press the juice from the, from the grape, and it goes into a tank. And then if it's a natural wine, it will spontaneously begin to ferment because the yeast is already there. Now, let's talk about natural wines for a second. So if it's a natural wine, it starts fermenting spontaneously because the yeast is already there. Mm -hmm. And if the wine is allowed to fully ferment, which means that the yeast are allowed to eat all the available sugar, then the yeast will die a natural death, and that becomes what are known as lees. They're dead yeast laying in the bottom of the tank, right? Mm -hmm. And so... At that point, the wine will be sugar-free because it's fully fermented. Fully fermented wines are always sugar-free because the yeast ate all the available sugar. Here's what's happening in commercial wines. First of all, as you know, we've already talked about, they don't use the wild native yeast. So the first thing they do is they press the juice into a tank, and then they pour sulfur dioxide in it to kill the native yeast because they can't have the native yeast competing with mm. the lab-grown yeast. So they use this chemical to kill the, kill the native yeast, and then they inoculate it with the lab-grown yeast, mm. and then it ferments. Now, both fermenting processes are the same. There's a little device that goes in the tank. It's a very pretty rudimentary device that's, that's hanging in the tank that tells you exactly how much sugar is left in the wine. Right? So as it ferments, the sugar level goes down and down and down. Here's what's happening with commercial wines for a whole bunch of reasons. Is that once the sugar gets pretty low or lower, then they introduce sulfur dioxide again to the wine to kill the lab-grown yeast before it completes the fermentation, wow. leaving what's known as RS in the industry, residual sugar behind in the wine. So that's how it gets sugar in it, is by stopping the fermentation process prior to it completing and the yeast eating all the available sugar. So it leaves this residual sugar behind in the wine. That's done for a bunch of reasons. Well, Americans love sugar. Mm -hmm. But also, in addition to that, sugar gives wine mouthfeel. Sugar gives wine a long finish. Like, mm. so, and so that's, you know, people talk, oh, that's got such a long finish. I mean, that's glycerol and sugar. Right, you don't have that with dry. You don't have that with our wines. They don't have these. They kind of just like break off. They kind of drop because they don't have. They don't have any sugar in them, right? Okay. And so, yeah. um, but they're also a part of that is that they taste lighter and fresher, right? Because mm -hmm. they don't have that they kind do. of. They don't have that afterness, which I don't want, right? Same. They're also friendlier with food. Our wines are much friendlier with food. Mm -hmm. Just even lowering the alcohol down makes wines more food friendly. I mean, you don't have vodka with a salad, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like alcohol and food are not paired well together. What pairs well is a lower alcohol wine, you know, and, and a wine that's fresher and lighter pairs Absolutely. better with food. Like even our red wines, we have many 
red wines that we call fish reds. I mean, they're so light and fresh that you could easily drink them and eat, eat a, like a white flaky fish and they would be a great complement to one another because the wine's Absolutely. just not that heavy, overburdened boldness and bigness and thickness and juiciness that you have with most conventional wines. Right. And so, so that's how wine gets sugar free or not sugar free. It's the most common question we get. How are your wine sugar free? And there's, isn't there sugar in grape juice? There is, but that's the yeast job is to eat the sugar. And if it's allowed to fully ferment, then you'll end up with a sugar free wine. And, and again, some commercial wines are also sugar free if they've been allowed to fully ferment. But the problem is you don't know which ones are and are not. And yeah, I can tell you this, we just recently we just recently tested the top 20 selling wines in the United States, and only two of them met our criteria for sugar-free, mm. right? So, uh, and some were lower in sugar, but I just don't want to drink any sugar, right? Same. I'm in the same boat. It's what initially drew me to dry farm wines, because I was looking for a no-sugar wine. And I didn't want all the additives and I wanted it to be organic without the pesticides and everything else in there. So then, okay, maybe I was getting it confused. Is it true that conventional wines, like some of them in order to get a specific, they have for lack of a better word, like a recipe. So is that additives or something that they add in in order to kind of keep that flavor profile going? Well, you've got, is that true you've got all that kinds true? of additives that create yeah. texture and body or color. You know, in red wines, Americans believe that the darker a red wine it is, the better, the, the higher the quality is. Well, mm-hmm. I tell you, there's no truth to that. In fact, just the opposite is probably more likely true. But Americans like a dark, thick wine. And so they're, you know, the, 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 the number one selling additive to make wine darker is called mega purple, mm. right? And so wow. this is also another reason that wines are left super long on the skin that we believe creates an inferior product, but it is darker. So the wine's darker, but they make me feel bad, right? And so these heavy extracted wines that have been left on to macerate for super long periods of time, and the primary reason for that is to get more tannin and more body and more Mm. structure and darker color to the wine, right? Because the longer it stays on the skin, the darker it's going to be. Right. Yeah. And then you can use color agents so that you've ever, I don't know if you've ever experienced to see people get purple teeth or purple yep. lips from drinking wine. That's usually from a color agent. You won't get that from our wines. The wines don't make your teeth red. Wow. Right. And so, uh, or purple, they're, they don't really turn red. They turn purple. Right. And yeah. that's, that generally is from a color agent, mm. right. That's been added to the wine. Um, wow. And so the, the, this is, you know, the problem is, is just no transparency. Yes. You know, what we'd love to see is contents labeling and nutritional information on a wine bottle. Right. I would love that. We we publish, yeah, we publish our lab tests for every wine. We publish them to the public. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's really um, ultimately what it comes down to is the transparency and we're, we're now messing with nature and getting a inferior product when we could just be cultivating it, you know, with the farming practices and everything and getting a, a better product. I mean, I can tell you that the wines that I've gotten from dry farm wines are some of the best wines I've ever drank. Just taste wise. I don't have a hangover the next day. You can, you literally can just taste the, the, um, 
the cleanness of it comparably to other wines. I don't feel like I have this kind of like film in my mouth afterwards. Right. Which is really well, I mean, it's, it's, a um, I occasionally, not often, but I occasionally do. Uh, it's super nice that you have a lot of experience with our wines because I occasionally, not often, but occasionally I get interviewed on a podcast from um, someone who's never drank our wines. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen often, but it's a couple, two or three times a year, which is a little bit weird because, you know, they don't really understand. They don't understand it. You know, but, but, um, but if it's, um, but if you've had that experience, then, then you understand. But anyway, yeah. I know we're coming up on time. Yeah. Any, uh, any final question? No, I mean, we really, wow, you covered everything that I wanted to cover. That was so informative. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to come on, come on today and just um, speak about all this. I think it's so important that people hear this. And um, I hope it will, I hope someday we can change the way that we, that we label wines. And, That'd be, and would, would be awesome. Yeah. Um, I do have a special offer for your guests today. Oh, so, thank you. Uh, yeah. So we can we give them a penny bottle of wine. We can't give alcohol away for free, but for one penny, they can get an extra bottle of wine uh, with their order. And all they have to do is go to the following link, which will be where that offer is notes. found. And so it's dryfarmwines.com forward slash real foodology. So uh, easy to find. But anyway, thanks for having me on the show today. It was a great time. And and we could talk a lot longer about this we stuff, really but, uh, but uh, I know we're coming up and I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. The show is produced and mixed by Drake Peterson and Christopher McCone of Peterson McCone Productions. Hit them up if you guys have any podcast needs. They are amazing. My theme music is by the singer Georgie. Please subscribe, rate, and comment on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any major podcast platform. If you want to find me on IG, my handle is Real Theology. See you guys next week. I know that's why